Welcome to the Unmade Podcast, looking at media and marketing from an Australian perspective. I'm Tim Burrows. Recently, I published my first book, Media Unmade. It quickly became an Amazon bestseller. It's the story of Australian media's most disruptive decade. It's published by Hardy Grant, and you can buy it at all good bookshops and online. In the coming weeks, I'll be sharing the full audio edition of the book here on the Unmade podcast. Coming up is the next chapter. Now remember, only Unmade's paying subscribers get to hear every chapter. If you haven't already, you can sign up at unmade.media. As well as supporting my work as an independent journalist, you'll receive exclusive industry analysis in both written and podcast form. And once you sign up, you'll still be able to get our paid podcasts inside the app of your choice. It only takes a couple of clicks. Now, on with the book. Chapter 7. Dead Air. In which the Hamish and Andy phenomenon comes to an end. A new network giant is formed. Bad boys Alan Jones and Kyle Sanderlands scrape the bottom of the barrel and a suicide shocks the radio industry. On camera, the two radio presenters look young and scared. On the left, Michael MC Christian is wearing a teal open neck shirt. His hair is dark and neat, his bushy eyebrows furrowed. There's a hint of five o'clock shadow. His eyes are bloodshot. On the right, Mel Gregg is dressed in black. Her face is shiny and slightly puffy, as if she's been crying. She has. They both look like they haven't slept in days. Since Jacinta Saldana, the nurse who picked up the phone in London on a prank call from the Today Network's Hot 30, took her life, nobody at Southern Cross Osterio has slept well. As the Today Tonight interview progresses, Christian is more in control and comes across as a little more rehearsed. Once Greg starts crying, she can't stop. There's nothing that can make me feel worse than what I feel right now and for what I feel for the family, Greg tells interviewer Claire Brady. We are so sorry this has happened to them. Tears roll down Greg's cheeks when Brady asks what support the radio station is providing. As the Channel 7 camera zooms in for a close-up of her tears, Greg twists a tissue in her lap. I care more about the family. I want to know they've got the support they need. If we played any involvement in her death, then we're very sorry for that, and time will only tell. With 2012 coming to a close, this has become the biggest media news story of the year. The pair have already sat through a similarly anguished interview with Tracy Grimshaw from Nine's A Current Affair. Ten's The Project wants to talk to them too. They can't face it. CEO Reese Holleran steps in instead. Two years earlier. Must be nice. Osterio could not have been flying higher. By 2010... Australia's Metro FM battleground was a three-way fight between Osterio, DMG and Australian Radio Network. Osterio was on top. 
most of the advertising revenue for the radio industry, came in from the country's biggest two cities of Sydney and Melbourne. And Austereo was going well in both. In the metro markets, each of the networks had two dogs in the race. Osterio's rock station, Triple M, was on air in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Adelaide. In Perth, the company's poppier Mix 94.5 was part of the Triple M network too, but without the branding. But the network that brought in most of the advertising money for Osterio was its pop-focused Today Network. The national Today Network brand was created long after the Metro licences had been assigned. In the previous decades, Osterio had started life with SAFM in Adelaide before buying Fox FM in Melbourne, B105 in Brisbane, Today FM in Sydney, and eventually 6pm in Perth. The company's marketers had done their best to build a network brand in the Today Network that they could use to promote their wares to the national advertisers and media agencies without losing the value in their local brands. It was, and still is, a juggling act. Industry wisdom agreed that each station needed its own local breakfast show, but could then tap into a nationally networked drive time slot. Osterio had been making the most of an unexpected magic carpet ride for the Today Network's drive time show, but it was coming to an end. Hamish Blake and Andy Lee, friends from Melbourne University days, had become radio stars in less time than it had ever been achieved before. The duo's on-air chemistry was something else. Osterio had done everything right in developing their skills. After doing student radio, Fox FM had nurtured them in a late-night slot before moving them to Saturday mornings. It's the sort of off-Broadway time slot where new talent could be developed by the management. Blake would later recall, We really respected everyone. The station had the right team at the time. These people knew what they were doing, but they were not forcing anyone too hard. There was a great air of confidence too in the station. They'd soon gone national, thanks to the set of falling dominoes that accompany radio scheduling shake-ups. Wendy Harmer's The Morning Crew had been dominating the Sydney ratings for Today FM since she began the show in 1993. But after 11 years, with her ratings slipping, Today FM management made a change. They brought in Judith Lucy, accompanied by comedian Peter Hellier and columnist Kaz Cook, to replace Harmer. But the ratings of the new show slipped even further. Despite the new presenters being on two-year contracts, the show was axed after one. Today FM management decided to try again, giving the breakfast show to national drive-time hosts, Kyle Sanderlands and Jackie Henderson, who'd only recently been promoted from the Hot 30 countdown. Henderson went by a professional name, Jackie O, from her previous marriage to Ugly Phil O'Neill, her original Hot 30 countdown co-host. So in 2006, Osterio had given the vacant drive-time show to Hamish and Andy. There were a few contenders for the most successful show in Australian radio history. Some might say that title belongs to Alan Jones, who dominated Sydney's AM ratings, first on 2UE, then on 2GB, for three decades. His talk radio show was syndicated into some other markets, but it was never a truly national show. Others might point to the Kyle and Jackie O show, which has achieved similar things at breakfast time in Sydney, which we'll come to. But in terms of a daily national show, there's been no bigger phenomenon 
than the Hamish and Andy show. There'd been an element of fortunate timing. When the pair moved to drive time in 2006, the audience's music tastes were swinging back towards pop, which suited the Today Network. Triple M had enjoyed a purple patch, thanks to rock bands like Franz Ferdinand, The Strokes, Powderfinger and Silverchair. But now a new generation of pop stars was coming through. Andy Lee would later recall on the Game Changers radio podcast, our station was sitting in that music genre by itself. We entered an era of superstars. In our first year, we had Katy Perry come on for I Kissed a Girl in the studio. Lady Gaga came in for Paparazzi. Rihanna for SOS. They were coming on our show because we were the stations that was playing their music. It was also a period when drive-time shows on other networks were falling over. Nova's planned drive-time programme with Matthew Newton and comedian Akmal Salah was axed before it went to air when Newton got into legal trouble. Triple M's popular drive-time show The Shebang with Marty Sheargold and Fifi Box was moved to Sydney Breakfast. What had turned the Hamish and Andy show into a phenomenon were the ever bigger and more challenging comedic quests undertaken by the duo. They included the Caravan of Courage trips across rural Australia and then the US and Europe. Overcoming technical obstacles built the network's mojo, with engineers even figuring out how to get a daily show on air from a tall ship sailing to Tasmania. A helicopter hovered above to beam it back to the studio using the still-developing Bluetooth technology. It seemed that no challenge was beyond them. The Hamish and Andy show had smashed FM ratings records, including winning 20% of the Melbourne radio audience and 15% in Sydney. According to the ratings, the show was reaching 2 million listeners nationally. As in television, momentum creates more momentum. Partly thanks to success at drive time, by 2010, Osterio was winning in its most important markets at breakfast time too. In Melbourne, Matt Tilly and Joe Stanley's Matt and Joe show was winning the FM battle for Fox in survey after survey. And in Sydney, despite increasingly controversial headlines, the Kyle and Jackie O show was winning for Today FM. It was as good as it was going to get for Osterio. By the first half of 2010, Speculation was growing that Blake and Lee were ready to move on. The TV networks were circling. Caravan of Courage specials for Network 10 in 2009-2010 had rated Metro audiences of 1.3 million and 1.7 million. In May 2010, 10's Chief Programming Officer, David Mott, joked on the Media Week podcast, the boys could actually read a phone book and it could rate. Yet the grind of a daily radio show made doing more television impractical. Something had to give. For Oz Stereo, it became a question of what consolation prize the company might be able to get out of the duo in 2011, instead of a daily drive-time show. In June 2010, Osterio CEO Guy Dobson told the Umbrella podcast, those guys on our airwaves in any shape or form will be exceptional for us. It was a hint about the way the negotiations were going. The announcement came through in August 2010. There would no longer be a daily show. On air, Blake told listeners, we will be continuing the show next year, but the show will be a two-hour show. We'll be scaling back. 
there'd be no Hamish and Andy drive time show from 2011. Instead, the duo would record a weekly podcast that would also air as a two-hour weekly show across the Today Network. The merger. The world was changing for the glamorous folk at Osterio. Southern Cross Media was circling. Thanks to its majority ownership by Village Roadshow, Osterio had exuded a whiff of show business for most of its history. The Kirby family's Village Roadshow had been involved in the Australian film industry since the 1950s, including movie distribution and the rise of the multiplexes. In the 1990s, they'd bought the Triple M and Today Networks to create Osterio. But now the Kirbys were ready to sell. Meanwhile, Southern Cross Media was already a regional broadcasting machine. Macquarie Media Group and Fairfax Media had worked together in 2007 to buy Southern Cross Broadcasting for $1.35 billion. Southern Cross Broadcasting's radio stations went to Fairfax Media, while the regional TV stations went to Macquarie Media, which would later merge the company with its Macquarie Regional Radio Works division and change the group's name to Macquarie Southern Cross Media and then simply Southern Cross Media. It was the first media company that was big in regional Australia in both radio and television. Its TV stations carried content from Network 10 via an affiliation deal. The group was run by former accountant Rhys Holleran, who was turning it into a local media giant. Holleran had become part of the company after six years with Reg Grundy's Gold Coast-based RG Capital Radio until it was sold to Macquarie Regional Radio Works in 2004. Holleran launched the takeover process for Osterio in January 2011. Southern Cross Media offered just over $700 million. The deal was wrapped up by April. The country boys were now in charge of the city slickers. In July, the company changed its name to Southern Cross Osterio. Holleran wanted a single Southern Cross Osterio culture as soon as possible. He told Mumbrella, we are trying to position this in the market as one company with one offering. This is not going to be a five minute journey. This is a five year plan. He wasn't to know it, but he'd be gone in four. Piece of shit. It wouldn't be long before the new Southern Cross Osterio management would learn that Metro Radio takes place in a brighter spotlight. And that means harsher shadows. Just before the takeover, Today FM weathered a storm featuring the Carl and Jackie O show. In July 2009, a regular segment in which a member of the public was attached to a lie detector machine and questioned about an aspect of their life went badly wrong. The guest was a teenage girl. She was quizzed on air by her mother, who was concerned she was hanging out with the wrong crowd. Sanderlands would later say that he understood the girl was 17, and that her mother wanted to address concerns about drug use. In fact, the girl was 14, and the question the mother asked her daughter was, have you had sex? The girl responded, I've already told you the story of this, and don't look at me and smile because it's not funny. Okay, um, I got raped when I was 12 years old. While Henderson was in the studio, Sanderlands was broadcasting remotely on a ski trip to Queenstown in New Zealand with his new wife. Disastrously, he attempted to fill the moment of dead air after the girl's tearful answer with the clumsy follow-up question. 
is that the only experience you've had? It became a major national news story, with Network 10 quick to announce it was firing Sanderlands as judge on talent show Australian Idol. Amid calls for advertisers to boycott the station, Osterio then suspended the show. Just three weeks after coming back on air, the show was suspended a second time. This time, Sanderlands joked about the comedian Magda Sabansky losing weight in a concentration camp. Zabansky was of Polish heritage. Many Poles had died in concentration camps during the Holocaust. The dilemma for the Today FM management was that the key element that made the Carl and Jackie O show the top-rating show was its edgy nature. Everything Sanderland said or did on air was news, and journalists tuned in every day to see who he would offend next. It became a question of risk versus reward for Today FM. Despite the controversies, the Kyle and Jackie O show remained Sydney's top performing FM show. This was key to advertising revenue. And the show's loyal audience were not the ones who took offence when controversy arose. That usually came from those who read about it later in the news. It was still worth management's while to walk the tightrope. After the Southern Cross media takeover of Osterio, there wasn't long to wait before the next crisis. Strangely enough, this new radio problem was heralded by a television ratings disaster. Sanderlands had pitched a TV chat show idea to Seven, which commissioned a pilot episode. Sanderlands was also the producer. To tie in with the radio show's slogan of Breakfast with the Stars, the title of the television programme was Kyle and Jackie O's Night with the Stars. To give Sanderlands' chat show maximum chance of finding an audience, Seven scheduled it directly after the grand finale of the 2011 season of talent show The X Factor. It was filmed outside LA with guests including singer Justin Bieber and former supermodel Janice Dickinson. It wasn't very good. And much like Ben Elton's disappointing Live from Planet Earth on Nine earlier in the year, the verdict came in early on Twitter. Social media posts were a new and immediate way for news sites to cover the public's reaction to a new television show in real time. Twitter didn't necessarily reflect the views of the wider population, but that wasn't the point. It provided good copy. Night with the Stars was bad television. I was one of the many viewers who tweeted, snarkily, about 15 minutes into the show. If you're not watching Kyle and Jackie O's Night with the Stars... Tune in for a little piece of history, the worst Monday night TV of all time. News.com.au's Alison Stevenson was among the first to write about the negative comments trending on Twitter about the show. First thing the next morning, Stevenson's news article caught the bruised Sanderland's eye just as the radio show went to air. Just after 6am on Tuesday 22nd November 2011, he laid into her. He told listeners... Some fat slag on news.com.au has already branded it a disaster. You can tell by reading the article that she just hates us and has always hated us. And then he picked up steam, making the attack increasingly personal as he looked at her byline picture. What a fat, bitter thing you are. You're deputy editor of an online thing. You've got a nothing job anyway. You're a piece of shit. This low thing, Alison Stevenson, deputy editor of news.com.au online, 
You're supposed to be impartial, you little troll. You're a bullshit artist, girl. You should be fired from your job. Your hair's very 90s and your blouse. You haven't got that much titty to be having that low cutter blouse. Watch your mouth or I'll hunt you down. It didn't help that when the ratings came in a couple of hours later, Stevenson had been correct in labelling the TV show a disappointment. Across its time slot, it had averaged 560,000 viewers, 20th for the night. Later that day, a rival TV network forwarded to Mumbrella a graph showing the minute-by-minute ratings, which aren't usually released to the trade press. The downward slope showed Kyle and Jackie O's Night with the Stars inherited the X Factor's 1.4 million audience, only to drop to half of that within minutes, and less than 200,000 stuck around until the show ended at 11.20pm. There was an outcry over Sunderland's misogynistic comments, and the network was about to experience another new media phenomenon. Campaigners used social media to target advertisers to demand they stop supporting the show. Unlike the lie detector incident, Today FM kept the show, which only had a few days to go before the Christmas ratings break, on the air. The next day, Sanderlands doubled down, telling listeners, I went personal on her because I thought her attack was personal on me. But in the newspaper now, they're saying that it's outrageous, that I'm a woman hater, I should be fired and all this stuff. And pretty much they're outraged that I would have done a personal attack on this woman and saying that I only attack female journalists. It's not true. I'll attack any journalist that attacks me that I think is unfair. Sentiment within Australia's media agencies was turning against the radio show, despite its high ratings. Matt Baxter, CEO of advertising buying giant UM, told the Sydney Morning Herald the show had gone from shocking to offensive And when that happens, advertisers start to get nervous and look at whether their brand is potentially at risk of being damaged in that environment. I took a call at Mumbrella from the CEO of another media agency. He opened the conversation with the words, how can I get this cunt sacked? Not an ideal sentiment for a network relying on advertising. Each time one advertiser agreed to withdraw advertising, it put more public pressure on the rest. WebsiteChange.org published a petition calling for advertisers to boycott the show until Sanderlands was sacked. By the time the radio industry reached the end of the ratings year and the Kyle and Jackie O show limped into its Christmas break, advertisers, including the show's main sponsor Holden, along with Coles, Bunnings, Vodafone, McDonald's, Ford, The Good Guys, Blackberry, Bow Repairs, Olympus and Blackmores, had said they would stop advertising. Somehow, somebody in the Southern Cross Stereo sales team managed to find a replacement for headline sponsor Holden over the Christmas break. On the 16th of January 2012, the show returned to the air with weight loss brand Jenny Craig as its new sponsor. Pop star Mel B was a regular guest on the show and she was an ambassador for Jenny Craig. Considering the fat slag element of the attack on Stevenson, and Sanderland's previous suggestion that Magda Sabansky should lose weight in a concentration camp, it was a mind-boggling choice on the part of Jenny Craig. There was an immediate online backlash, which reached the sponsor's US head office overnight. Jenny Craig axed its sponsorship after just one day, releasing a statement the next morning saying, 
We badly misjudged public perception of Kyle Sanderlands. We have taken what has been said seriously. We feel sorry we've offended so many people, underestimated the sentiment against Kyle, and are clearly upset that we made such a mistake. That night, Rhys Holleran stepped in too, offering a statement. In light of the recent withdrawal of advertising by Jenny Craig from the Kyle and Jackie O breakfast show on Today FM, we reinforce that we value our listeners and clients dearly and hold the utmost respect for their opinions and actions. We are confident the Kyle and Jackie O show has been positively reset for 2012 and our teams are committed to ensuring it is both entertaining for listeners and provides an advertiser-friendly environment. It would take until March 2012 for the radio regulator, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, to complete its investigation into the incident. A fast turnaround by ACMA's standards. Sometimes its rulings would come more than a year after an incident. It's understandable why one of the recommendations of the government's convergence review into the media would be swifter investigations. At the biggest press conference ACMA had held, journalists heard from Chairman Chris Chapman that Today FM had indeed breached the radio standards of decency. But ACMA had very few powers available to punish a misbehaving broadcaster. It could take away a broadcasting licence if it had breached the licence conditions, but short of that, it could not issue a fine or immediately punish a network. All it could do was apply a new specific condition to the licence to broadcast. Then, and only then, would ACMA be able to get a legally enforceable undertaking that could lead to a fine or ultimately licence suspension if there was further bad behaviour. Chapman had a rough ride at the press conference as the journos tried to understand his lack of powers, as I wrote that day on Mumbrella. By the end of the press conference, I was starting to feel a little sorry for him as he struggled to find new ways of telling the press back of 40 or so that he didn't really have any immediate powers. The nearest he came towards the end was when he acknowledged that there had been frustration over a lack of a graduated process. A new condition was placed on Today FM. If there was another breach of the decency rules over the next five years, the station could lose its licence. Today FM called in the lawyers, arguing this created an unfair risk for the radio station. It took until August 2012 for the Administrative Appeals Tribunal to rule partly in the radio station's favour. The conditions would cover only shows that had been presented by Sanderlands the Kyle and Jackie O show, and the Hot 30 Countdown. But if anything went to air on those two shows that breached the decency rules, Today FM's licence would be in jeopardy. Died of shame. For all the headlines, Kyle Sanderlands was not Sydney's most influential radio presenter. That was Alan Jones. And although both men were controversial, Jones was powerful too. Just as the Kyle and Jackie O show was number one in FM, the Alan Jones Breakfast Show on Macquarie Radio Network's talk station 2GB was number one in AM. Indeed, it was the biggest show across either wave band. By the middle of 2011, Jones was enjoying a share of about 18% of the available Sydney Breakfast Radio audience. Sanderlands and Henderson were on just over 11%. Jones had won every ratings survey 
since being tempted away from 2UE to 2GB by the station's part owner, John Singleton, in 2002. His power derived from his willingness to involve himself in politics and to pursue on-air vendettas against those he did not respect. He would lionise politicians who courted him and villainise others with an enormous appetite for work, an incredible stamina for someone who turned 70 in 2011. Jones was also recognised, even by his many enemies, as a talented, erudite broadcaster. He too had been through controversies. The cash-for-comment affair of 1999 had caught up both Jones and fellow talkback presenter John Laws. The ABC's Media Watch had revealed that both had been receiving undisclosed payments to talk favourably about the likes of Qantas, Optus, Foxtel and Mervac. And even more notoriously, Jones had been accused of fueling ethnic tensions ahead of the December 2005 Cronulla riots. ACMA had later ruled that Jones's comments had encouraged violence against people of Middle Eastern backgrounds. But in 2012, Jones and 2GB's management discovered that those who opposed his polarising views were now able to use social media as an effective campaigning tool to target advertisers. Jones had been increasingly outspoken against Australia's first female Prime Minister, Julia Gillard. During a number of broadcasts, he referred to putting her out to sea in a chaff bag, along with the likes of Greens leader Bob Brown, former PM Kevin Rudd, US President Barack Obama and Sydney Mayor Clover Moore. The comments drew criticism, but were cleared by ACMA. In August 2012, Jones discussed Gillard on air, saying, She said that we know societies only reach their full potential if women are politically participating. Women are destroying the joint. Christine Nixon in Melbourne, Clover Moore here, honestly. The next month, 2GB found itself in far greater strife for something Jones said off-air. He gave a speech at a dinner for the Sydney University Liberal Club not long after the death of Gillard's father. Jones told the audience, The old man recently died a few weeks ago of shame. To think that he had a daughter who told lies every time she stood for Parliament. The comments were recorded by News Limited journalist Jonathan Marshall, who published them in Sydney's The Sunday Telegraph. Although Jones had not made the comments on his show, campaigners swung into action on social media, using both Twitter and Facebook to promote a link to a Change.org petition calling for advertisers to boycott the radio station. Destroy the Joint, a feminist campaign group named in response to Jones's previous comments about Gillard and Moore, began to challenge any advertiser that was on the show. A second online pressure group called Sack Allen Jones also sprang to life, organising via Facebook. By 2012, most brands had not only some kind of social media presence, but online community managers responsible for responding to comments from the public. When something went wrong, it was becoming a three-way conversation between the media company, advertiser and the public. Suddenly, it was a lot harder for brands to simply wait for a controversy to die down. Almost immediately, Freedom Furniture said it was suspending its 2GB ads, while Mercedes-Benz said it was telling its dealerships not to advertise. 
Woolworths took to Facebook to say that although it had not been a recent advertiser, it was going to make sure that future ads were blocked too. As the week went on, more advertisers began to withdraw, each one another domino, making those remaining more likely to topple. 2GB held crisis meetings over the weekend and, on the Sunday, the Macquarie Radio Network issued an extraordinary announcement. The Alan Jones Show would continue, but without any ads. In the statement, boss Russell Tate acknowledged the changed rules of social media campaigning, complaining the nature, tone and volume of the reaction to Jones's remarks, and in particular the threats being made through social media to companies advertising in Jones's programme, and the disruption being caused to their businesses, have made it necessary for MRN to call some time out. Tate admitted 2GB was struggling with the new battle lines created by social media. We have to conclude that the avalanche of telephone, email and Facebook demands to our advertisers to boycott the Alan Jones Breakfast Show and the threats to destroy their businesses if they don't comply are coming almost entirely from people who do not listen to Alan Jones or 2GB at all. Probably never have done and never will. The campaigners were pushing for censorship, complained Tate. We are happy to listen to any constructive criticism of what we are doing. We do it every day, often live on air. But strangely, we've heard very little on this issue from the same social media groups which are attempting to destroy the companies who have the hide to advertise with the highest rating radio station in Sydney. All of their focus is destructive. They are simply making life as difficult as possible for the staff of companies whose crime, apparently, is advertising on Sydney's highest-rating breakfast radio show. The ads quietly returned to the show a week later. Integrity failure. Sometimes it's hard to tell good luck from bad. That was certainly the case for the worst event in Australian radio history, the death by suicide of Jacintha Saldana. A dumb phone prank would set in course events that would ruin many lives and leave Today FM fighting to hold on to its licence to broadcast. Along with the human cost, the death of Saldana would be the moment that saw Today FM, once Australia's most successful commercial radio station, lose its mojo and perhaps never to recover it. The reputation-shredding disaster unfolded as the media industry was beginning to wind down for 2012. For once, the problem wasn't at breakfast time. It was on the summer edition of the Hot 30 Countdown evening show. The Hot 30 Countdown show had heritage. It was broadcast nationally across the Today Network, out of Today FM's Sydney studios. The first hosts when the show began in 1996 had been Ugly Phil O'Neill and his wife Jackie O. When Ugly Phil abruptly left the show, the country and his marriage, the network had trialled a string of male co-hosts. Eventually the company had trialled a radio-obsessed bogan from Triple M Brisbane's morning show, Kyle Sanderlands. Jackie O and Sanderlands quickly found their on-air chemistry. The show's format play the top songs of the day and talk about celebrities and pop stars, was a good spot for station bosses to develop talent. And after three years, the duo had been promoted to the national drive time slot. 
No other pair would hold the Hot 30 chair for as long. Commercial radio follows presenter formulas. Depending on the time slot, the formula usually includes at least one comedian in a breakfast slot, opposite a more seasoned radio professional. In drive time, the mix tends towards one female host and one or two male co-hosts. Presenter lineups rarely come about organically. They have to give the impression that they're the best of friends off air, but they're almost always thrown together by station management without necessarily even knowing each other. By the time 2012 came along, there'd been a revolving door of 10 hosts for the Hot 30 countdown, which almost always worked to the formula of one male and one female presenter. Because it was a stepping stone to bigger things on the network, the presenter lineup changed regularly. Mel Gregg would get her chance in March. The South Australian had parlayed an appearance as a contestant on Channel 7's The Amazing Race into a role on Australian radio network's Mix 102.3 in Adelaide. And when comedian Maud Garrett left to the Hot 30, Greg headed for Sydney to join co-host Matty Acton, telling the advertiser in Adelaide, I'm the luckiest girl in the world. The network did another shuffle, sending Acton to the Gold Coast to host breakfast on CFM. Incoming was Michael Christian, who'd been hosting the morning slot as MC on Fox FM in Melbourne for the previous three years. In the press release, he said, Can someone pinch me? This is real, right? To be given an opportunity on Hot 30, a show that has been hosted by so many icons of the industry, is an absolute honour, and I can't wait to join Mel in the studio. Greg and Christian who had never worked together before, would only do five shows together before disaster struck. With any network show, there are more behind-the-scenes staff than there are on air. And with relatively inexperienced presenters like Greg and Christian, the weightier decisions were being taken up the chain. In Hot 30's case, there were two producers and an executive producer working directly on the show. Because of the extra licence conditions imposed by ACMA around the show, there was a more complicated approval process above them too. But Greg and Christian would become the faces of the disaster. Over in the UK, Kate Middleton, the Duchess of Cambridge, had been admitted to the King Edward VII Hospital in London with acute morning sickness. To royal watchers, it was huge news. Kate and Prince William were expecting their first child, The baby would be third in line to the throne after Prince Charles and Prince William. The announcement was made on Monday the 3rd of December 2012. The Hot 30 team had an idea for a prank call. On the Tuesday afternoon in Sydney, the early hours of the morning in the UK, they rang the hospital switchboard. Prank calls have been a staple of the radio industry for years. Elsewhere on the network, the Hamish and Andy show had been doing them harmlessly on a regular basis. And the comedy usually came when the stunt failed rather than when it succeeded. That certainly appeared to be the intention of the call to the hospital switchboard. Greg, who, like most Australians, appeared to be unaware that she wasn't able to do a convincing English accent, impersonated the Queen. Christian played Prince Charles. And producers Emily Mills and Ben Harlem barked in the background pretending to be the Queen's corgis. The phone was answered by nurse Jacinta Saldana. Oh, hello there. 
Could I please speak to Kate, please, my granddaughter? Said Greg as the Queen. Saldana transferred the call through to the duty nurse caring for the princess. Unable to believe their luck and somewhat unprepared to keep the prank going, the radio duo did their best to play it for laughs while the pretend corgis yapped in the background. The nurse, believing she was indeed talking to the Queen, disclosed that Middleton had been given fluids after being admitted in a state of dehydration. After a couple more minutes of not particularly funny conversation, the duo wrapped up the call. It wasn't hilarious, but it was a piece of exclusive content for the show. The prank had not gone out live. There were still a few hours to go until it was time for Hot 30 Countdown to go to air. Greg sought to protect the two nurses involved. She would later tell police investigators that she had sent an email urging the network to re-record the nurses' voices using a member of staff. Instead, a manager emailed back, instructing the team to seek legal approval to air the call as it stood. Once it reached the station's in-house legal expert, the question asked was the narrow one of could they legally air the call, not the wider question of whether they should. It seems likely that the legal advisor did not actually listen to the call itself, but focused on the question of the law around recording calls without somebody's knowledge. The New South Wales Surveillance Devices Act required that calls in the state could only be recorded with the consent of both parties. The technicality that the person on the other end of the call was outside New South Wales was enough for the lawyer. It put the call outside the jurisdiction of that law. So he okayed the prank call to go to air on that Tuesday night, only the second time that Greg and Christian had presented together. It became a global headline. The embarrassed hospital labelled the call deplorable, but for the most part, it was received with amusement. Initially, the Today Network was defensive. On the Thursday morning, Today FM's PR manager emailed me a short statement simply saying, We apologise for any inconvenience caused by the inquiry to Kate's hospital. The radio segment was done with light-hearted intentions. We wish Kate and her family all the best and we're glad to hear she's doing well. By the Thursday evening show, after even Prince Charles had briefly bantered with the press about the prank, the Today Network was beginning to milk the publicity, replaying the clip on that night's show and revelling in how they had pulled it off. The next morning, the same PR manager emailed out a follow-up press release with links to audio and video clips of Greg and Christian in action. All in all, it looked like a dream start for this new radio duo. Meanwhile, Saldana's family had not heard from her since the Wednesday night. They asked the hospital to check on her. On Friday morning, British time, the hospital found the nurse dead in her room along with three suicide notes. Grimly, it would later emerge at the inquest that one of the notes read, I hold the Radio Australians, Mel Gregg and Michael Christian, responsible for this act. Please make them pay my mortgage. I am sorry, Jacinta. No radio station in Australia had been thrown into a crisis like it. The news broke in Australia on the Saturday morning, With the lie detector test and Sander Lunds' piece of shit attack on the News Limited journalist still fresh in the public's minds, 
there was little chance of the station getting the benefit of the doubt. It would not emerge until some months later that the nurse had been through a number of previous mental health and self-harm episodes. The two presenters became targets for much of the fury. The radio station put them forward as the faces of the disaster in those TV interviews. Greg appeared utterly distraught, while Christian had already begun to realise that, tragic as the death was, and crass as the stunt had been, they were not responsible for killing the woman. Appearing on stage at the Mumbrella 360 conference three years later, Greg would say of the tragedy, basically, our integrity failed, common sense failed, and the process failed when the call was aired. I felt the most amount of guilt. I felt I personally killed a mother. My name was in the letter. No matter what I thought, this woman thought of me before she killed herself, and I couldn't come to terms with that, and I really did blame myself. As the scandal continued, many in the industry had anticipated that CEO Reese Holloran would take ultimate responsibility and resign over the matter. It seemed so likely I prepared a draft of a news story for Mumbrella announcing his departure. I remember addressing the staff of Fox on the Monday or Tuesday and crying, Holloran recalls. I didn't sleep for about six days. If you'd said to me before that I'd be involved for a year of my life with the death of a human being, I would not have believed it. After checking in with Southern Cross Stereo chairman Max Moore Wilton, Holloran resolved not to resign. I said to Max privately, if I had everybody on the board's support, I would see it through. The backlash went on and on. On Monday morning, the company's share price slumped on the possibility that Today FM might lose its licence to broadcast in Sydney. And with advertising cancellations beginning to come in once again, the network preemptively dropped all ads on the entire station. It permanently axed the Hot 30 show and it announced that all prank calls were now banned on the network. The next year, Greg travelled to London to attend the nurse's coronial inquest, writing her own will beforehand because of the death threats she'd been receiving. She would go through serious depression and years of counselling before coming to terms with the incident. For the network, with the Today FM licence in the balance, it had to get back to business. It put ads back on the air, saying it would donate half a million dollars to a memorial fund for Jacinta Saldana. There was also a war to be fought with the ACMA, which was weighing up whether to try to take away the licence to broadcast. It paralysed what we did for many, many months, and for a good many years, says Holleran. That was the latest chapter of my narration of my book, Media Unmade. You can buy the book online and at all good bookstores. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you want to hear all future chapters, you'll need to be a paying subscriber of Unmade. You can sign up at unmade.media. That's the URL, simply unmade.media. Once you do, it only takes a couple of clicks to add the paid-for feed to the podcast app of your choice. The book was written and recorded in Northwest Tasmania on the land of the Palawa people. This podcast is produced with the enthusiastic help of Abe's Audio. For voiceovers and audio production, from corporate to commercial, go to abesaudio.com.au. 
I'll be back with the next chapter soon. Toodle pip.